Matthew chapter 19, and we were looking at the rich young ruler and uh, how the Lord said to him, well, there's one thing you lack after he uh, let him brag about the second table of the law and his relationship with his fellow man. He hasn't committed adultery, he hasn't stolen, he hasn't this. And the Lord then brought him to the first table of the law and said, well, there's, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me and you'll have a great reward. And the Lord finally put his finger on the guy's problem. His possessions possessed him. It said when he heard this, he went away. He was sad. He was grieved. Now, we don't know if he turned back later. We don't know if we're going to see him in heaven. But his life presents a lesson to us as we look at this. And the, and the disciples say, Lord, if this is the way it is, who can be saved? Because in the Jewish mind, if you obeyed the Lord and you kept his commandments, he blessed your vineyards and he blessed your olive trees. He, he blessed your crops and your herds and your wife wasn't barren. That was just... So they look at a rich young ruler. This is a guy, God is blessing. This is like in standing with all that we believe theologically about God's blessing. And now they're hearing, you know, that it's it's almost, it's harder for a rich man to come into the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Which, you know, which they're amazed when they hear this. And he said, well, who then can be saved? And he said, well, you know, look, with man, it's, uh, it's impossible. But with God, not for man or for God, but with God, all things are possible. That's the only way we're getting in, with God. Now, Peter, like he always does, his brain stuck back a few verses. And we're thankful for that because in verse 27 of chapter 19, he says, then Peter said unto him, Behold. Isn't it interesting he's telling Jesus to behold something? <clears throat> like he has never thought of this. Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Because he said the rich young ruler in verse 21, he says, Give what you have to the poor, you'll have reward in heaven, and then come and follow me. So Peter's saying, Now we've forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now, the interesting thing is the Lord's going to condescend to answer this question. You know, Peter's one of the, the, maybe the oldest one of them. And the Lord's kind of looking at him thinking, all right, I'll stoop down to that. You know, what are we going to get kind of a thing, you know? Interesting. And, you know, he's going to tell them no one has ever lost anything by giving it up for Jesus. No one has ever lost anything they've given up for Jesus. What shall we have? And Jesus said unto them, not just to Peter, because they're probably saying, no, you ask him, you ask him. Jesus said unto them, verily, truly, I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in his throne of glory, you also shall sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes. So I say unto you, you which have followed me, 
Okay, you want to know what's going to happen? We've left all and followed you. Okay, those of you who've done that and you followed me, he says, in the regeneration, now he identifies it when the Son of Man shall sit in his throne. So the regeneration he's speaking of here, the words used one other time in Titus, talking about the new birth. But here, no doubt, he's talking about the millennial age. Because it says, in this regeneration is when the Son of Man sits upon his throne. He says, those of you who have followed me, when that takes place in the kingdom, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. So in the kingdom... You know, contrary to the temporal, which Peter's thinking about, no doubt when he asked the question, hey, we've left everything, what are we going to get? He, he was not, I don't think, thinking about that distant future. And the Lord said, well, you're going to get crucified upside down. Then you're going to get, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Peter's thinking about, you know, what do we got coming? Little did he know. He says, in the regeneration... When the Son of Man shall sit on his throne in the new birth, when the kingdom comes of his glory, you shall sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And believe me, they were stuck there. That's all they needed to hear, twelve thrones, twelve tribes. You know, in the book of Acts, there, when the Lord is talking to them, he says, wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard of me, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) They're thinking about that regeneration. He said, well, look, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has put in his own power. He doesn't say, what? What are you talking about? kingdom coming back to Israel. He just says, he affirms it, but it's not for you to know the time. We've seen 1948, the beginning of this, as a nation is reborn after being dispersed for 2,000 years. So to them, he says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones when this takes place, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he includes us in verse 29, and everyone, that's including us, that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. The idea is, you, you can never be a loser when you follow Jesus. And certainly he's not talking about, hey, you lose your, you know, leave your wife to follow me. Because he, he just taught earlier in the chapter, no, there's no reason except for fornication to divorce or put away your wife. He's not, he's talking about sacrifice here. How many of us, we've gotten saved, there's kind of been a distance with family or brothers or sisters who think we're crazy. We're talking about Jesus. We got saved. Or maybe stepped away from a career, or stepped away from something. He said, there's anybody who's lost anything relative to me that's not going to come out on the better end of things. Um, you know, you read about C.T. Studd or 
David Livingston, some of the missionaries that would leave their wives, not divorce them, but for months at a time, extended periods of time, be in the mission field and be, you know, and then finally bring their wife with them. And how many then their wives died with them or the husband dies and leaves the wife. Just the the great sacrifices that have been made over the, the ages for the cause of Christ. He's saying anybody who does anything like that, they're never going to be a loser. It's impossible if they follow me. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Four. So chapter 20 begins, but there was no break when he taught this, because the four relates it right back to what he had just said about the kingdom and following him and sacrificing, giving up to do that. And many that are last shall be uh, first, shall be last, and the, and, the, and the last shall be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, he moves into a parable. There's a parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Understand it's a picture. Uh, when you come to parables, you can't build doctrine on parables. Parables are kind of like this. The kingdom's kind of like this. This is what it's like. This is kind of how it works. Here's this old idea of the first being last and the last being first. It's kind of like this. So he gives them a picture. Para um, is to put something alongside. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes alongside. Parabalo, para alongside. Balo is the root word of casting, to throw something alongside of. So he takes an earthly picture, the vineyard, the labors, which they all understood, and he throws a spiritual truth alongside of that to, to make it clear, to help them understand. So he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. This man's going to be a vineyard owner, a good man of a house. Here he's called a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now the lesson here is going to be let God's business be God's business. First shall be last, last shall be first. Now that doesn't seem right. Look, I'm going to let God's business be God's business. Because it's kind of like this. This householder goes out early in the morning. The phrase there represents about 6 o'clock in the morning. Still dark. And, he, and the, the typical procedure would be the one who owned the vineyard looking for laborers would go to the marketplace and this still happens in certain countries around the world. Some similar things go on. And look for those that are around laborers and then hire them for the day to come and to work. So he went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed, that word agreed is important, with the laborers for a penny a day, to hire somebody now for a penny a day, isn't it? Unless they're four. Um, I can do that with my grandkids. This is a denarion. It's a day's wage, equivalent today to over a hundred bucks a day. It's a it's a, a day's wage for a laboring man, 
And they agree to that. That's why they're out there. That's what they're looking for. That's why they're in the marketplace waiting to go and work. And when he had agreed with them, the laborers for a penny a day, a denarius for the day, day's wage, then he sends them into his vineyard. All of this is something they understand. And then it says he went out about the third hour. We're nine o'clock in the morning now. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. They're, they're looking for work. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right. Now he doesn't come to an agreement with them. He just says, Whatever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Now, again... Uh, probably the guys that got there first, now they're thinking, all right, the guys that come in at 9 o'clock get three-quarters of a day's wage because they didn't start. It's not a full day. Usually from uh, 6 to 6 is what they were working. And the, the, this is a vineyard, so they understand he's talking about gathering grapes. And the vineyards came due in the end of August, beginning of September. And when the vineyards came due, the grapes had to be harvested quickly. Because once they became ripe, the rain could ruin them. There's just certain things. So somebody who owned a vineyard, that was a rush. They were long, hard days of work. He hired as many people as he could to get into the vineyard, hire, you know, to, to hire people, and then to, to bring in the grapes. They understood this picture. So he goes back out at 9 o'clock, you know, hires some at 6, sees some others. He says, come on, guys, I, I need to help. I'll get you in. And says, and then he, they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth hour. That's at noon. So the story's becoming a little bit funky here. He goes out again at noon. And then he goes out again in ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So now they're kind of listening scratching their heads because nobody does this. Anybody who's a landowner, anybody who's a professional, he knows early in the morning how many people he needs. He's still not looking for people at noon or 3 o'clock in the afternoon to do some work on his place. So he says to them, now, no, no, look at verse 6, I'm sorry. And about the 11th hour... This is 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, this has become ridiculous to them at this point in time. Who goes out at the 11th hour to hire anybody to work? You know, hey, hey, can you guys work from 5 to 6? You know, I need help. So he goes out at the 11th hour. When he went out, he found others standing idle. And he said unto them, why stand ye here all day idle? And they said unto them, Because no man, him no man has hired us. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. Notice this. And whatsoever is right, that you shall receive. Now, isn't it interesting? These long days, working long days, and then at evening, right at evening, still hiring some to go forward. I think of how he's done that in our lives. Look. The harvest is about to come. You can feel it. It's a spiritual perception. This is late in the day, as it were. And the Lord is still going out saying, you said it to me. You know, I was 22 years old. What are you doing standing around? Getting stoned. 
being an idiot. And I'm thinking, nobody cares about me, least of all God. Nobody wants anything to do with me. Nobody understands. Nobody feels what I feel. Nobody hurts where I hurt. But that's not who he is. At this point, he's not a landowner worrying about his land. He's a landowner worrying about laborers. Because these people at 3 in the afternoon or at 5 o'clock, what are you doing standing around? He knows they're not going to have what they need to care for their families. They're going to have dinner. And how many of us, I think, he looked at us and, and knew you are never going to have what you need to care for your families if you stay the way you are. You're never, you're never going to have what you need. You're never going to be able to do what you need to do the way you are. Stand around. What are you doing? So even at the 11th hour, I'm glad because I'm, I, I get in at 11.30. You know, you know even, even at the 11th hour, it says he still gathers these in. And he says, go and... You know, I will give you what's right. It's so interesting to hear him say that. And when even was come, the day is at hand. The day is over. Now, by the way, in our picture here, the day is a life. The day he drew a picture of, this is not a doctrine. This is a picture. It's a parable. And in the parable, this day is a human life. And at the end of the day, the rewards are going to come because that's what Peter, what are we going to get? You know, he, this, is, this is built around the idea of rewards. And at the end of the day, when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire. Now here's interesting. Beginning from the last unto the first. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. He says, okay, get them, bring them in. And the guys you hired at 5 o'clock an hour ago, you pay them first. Because the laborer in this time was paid at the end of every day. As some of them, you know, even would give their outer robe as a, as a pledge, the fact that they'd work. And the Lord in his word says you can never keep that because at the end of the day, that's their blanket. It, it's what keeps them warm. When you hire a laborer, you paid them daily. At the end of every day, they got their wage because that's the only way they could go to the marketplace, get something for themselves and for their family and so forth. So the day's over now. You and I are going to get rewards at the end of the day. You know, Lord, what do we get? If we left everything to follow you, what are we going to get? Lord Jesus, if we, you know, in our crazy world, if we turn away from all of this stuff, we turn away from pleasure, we turn away from money, we turn away from all the stuff that other people pursue, we lost friends, we've lost family, you know, left our mother behind, or, you know, close relatives, or, or our business, we've forsaken all. What are, what are we going to have? And he is the interesting picture here, he says, well, this is the way that goes. At the end of the day, there's even rewards for those who come in at the 11th hour. I don't want anybody to sit here in this church or maybe anybody who's listening. You don't have any excuse to say, I'm done. 
What's the point? I'm at the end of my life, or I see what's going on in the world. What's the point? I might as well have been born an ox. I can eat. I can sweat. I can work. I can go to the bathroom. Might as well just be an ox. What's the purpose of life? He has a purpose for your life. And even it seems like the end of the day, he has a calling on us. Paul would say the day is far spent. The night is at hand. Let us labor with a certain intensity, believing those things. He says this 11th hour, you know, so the, the, the law, Leviticus 19.13, Deuteronomy 24.15, said you have to pay these labors at the end of every day. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a denarion, a full day's Wage. You know, these are people that could have forsaken all at the very end, in the last hour of their life, in the last hour of the day. They all received a day's wage. They had worked for an hour. But when the first came, the guys that he hired at six in the morning, they supposed that they're going to receive more. They're sitting there thinking, this is great. The guy that came at five o'clock is getting a day's wage. We're gonna evidently we're gonna get six times that. We were early in the morning. Where this is gonna be great, you know. Where do you see what happens now? The first came, and they supposed that they should have received more. Remember, Peter said, "Hey, we left everything. What are we gonna get?" And they likewise received every man a denarion. And when they had received it, they murmured. If you can imagine human beings doing this. When they received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, these last, they come at the last minute. These last minute guys, they worked one hour, and you've made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. They came at the last hour, and you've made them, you're rewarding them just like you're rewarding us. I don't know about you guys, I'm thankful. I'm thankful just to be getting in. You know, you look at the thief on the cross, there's a guy who waited till the last minute, obviously. And, you know, and when they're first hanging there on the cross, he's reviling Jesus with the other guy. And as he watches what takes place, and he sees, you know, the Lord say to John, Behold thy mother, and to Mary, Behold thy son. He's watching these things go on, and he finally says to the guy, Look, we deserve to be here, but this guy, he doesn't point because his nails hang. He, he said, You know, this guy, he said, he said and, he, and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, Of a truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The 11th hour. Charles Spurgeon describes the situation. This thief coming to heaven. Saying Lord I understand. Uh, all these other people served their whole life. to get the rewards. I'm just glad to get in. You're, and the Lord said whoa. Stand still for a minute. You see this multitude. They were all prisoners that read your story and got saved at the end of their lives. 
And the only reason this multitude is going into heaven is because of your decision. Great is your reward. Full day's wage. Full day's wage. There isn't any reason that anybody in this room, including me, shouldn't give everything we got for the time we got left. You're never going to be a loser. This is a this is a time when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about compromise having to stop in our lives because a lot of us we think well what I do yeah it's harmless nobody knows everything. no no this is a time when I think the Lord is saying labor get into my vineyard do what's right the time is short I'm hiring you at the last hour the the day is coming to an end the day is far spent the night is at hand just be faithful do this right. And this thief on the cross, the final hour of his life, he gets these great rewards. How many, you know, conversions have there been on the deathbed, deathbed conversions, you know, and just see people turn at the end, and that touches the lives of other people. We, we look at this situation here, the, you know, the rich young ruler, let everything go you got, come and follow me. Great will be your reward in heaven. To Peter, there's anybody who's left anything, Peter, that's not going to be rewarded. But you have to understand, you're measuring it the wrong way. We started working early in the morning. We should get more than everybody else. He said, no, understand, in the kingdom, the first may be last and the last might be first. He said, because, here's why, because the kingdom is kind of like this. And he tells this story. And he says, and when they had received it, the day's wage, they murmured, kind of like Peter, against the good men of the house, saying, these last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us. Salvation is a gift. Which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I do thee no wrong. Isn't it interesting? He's not, the goodman of the house here has no anger as we look at this. He says, friend, we find this in, in another parable. Jesus talking about the, the king making a wedding supper. And the king came in to see the guest and saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, friend... How is it that you came in this way? Or Jesus, when he's in Gethsemane, and Judas comes to betray him, Jesus said unto him, Friend, those are the last three times the word friend is used in Matthew. Friend, wherefore art thou come? He's not angry. He's not the way I am sometimes. I don't want to be a crabby old man. I tell my wife all the time, if we get in an argument, I say, honey, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be a crabby old man. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be crucified, but I want to be like Jesus. He says, friend. Don't you want to hear that from him? I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou, look, agree? He says right there in verse 2, he says, it says, And when he had agreed with the laborers, 
for a day's wage. He said, he said, you agreed to this. Didn't you agree with me for a day's wage? Take that that is not is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. This is the decision of, of the, the man who owns the vineyard of the, the, the householder. He said, is not... Is it not lawful for me to do, notice, what I will, this is his will, with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the the owner of the vineyard is both good and he's generous. This is is the one who's going to reward us. He's good and he's generous. And no child of his should sit around says they murmured. So it's not salvation here. Nobody murmurs about salvation. This is in the context of following him and getting rewards. Nobody here should ever think, what am I going to do? You know, Jerry, you know, these days he's been serving the Lord for 140 years. And Joe's been serving the Lord for 30 years, whatever, you know. Yeah, you, you just, you know, nobody should think that. Yeah, this is the 11th hour. Come on. You get the same. You get the same thing. You're going to get eternal rewards. This good, it says there's good works foreordained that we should walk in them. In Ephesians, he says, because this is what the kingdom's like. Peter, you're measuring it the wrong way. That guy, you know, what about us? We left everything. He said, yeah, you're going to get it. But you need to understand the way the kingdom works. The the deal is sometimes the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And he says, I'm going to, this is my will. Twice he says it. I will. I'm going to do with mine what I see right. I'm going to do it. He said, I'll give unto thee what is fair. I give unto the laborers that came in later. He said, what is right? He says, now your eye is evil. You're being envious because I'm good. God's economy is never based on merit or good works. God's economy is solely based on grace, or it could never work. God's economy cannot be based on good works, human effort. It has to be based on grace, or it never works, because of us, not because of him. He says, you're, you're irritated, you're, you're envious because I am good. So, Jesus says to them, now the last shall be first. Now, by the way, it doesn't say all the last shall be first, but there's this you know, picture he's drawing. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. It doesn't say every first shall be last. You know, there's people that have served, their hearts are different, they've done different things. But he says, you need to understand this. In the kingdom, the last shall be first. The first shall be last. For many are called, few are chosen. You know, many are called. Start at the beginning of the day. You agree to work for a day's wage. Few are chosen. The 11th hour, he takes some, he calls them, and they receive a full day's wage. You know, many are called, few are chosen. Again, some amazing pictures of that in Scripture. And then in verse 17, it says this. It says, 
And Jesus then, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart, aside, in the journey as they're going up, and began to speak to them. So they're going from Jericho, the northern end of the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the face of the earth. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. And then from there, I forget, it's like 1,300 feet below sea level. They're going to Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level. And they're walking. They're not taking a tour bus. You know, they're not going up in a helicopter. This is a walk. It is uphill all the way, like your walk and my walk. It is uphill all the way. And they're going up there, and look, they're headed up to the cross. He knows it. They need to understand it. He will never ascend this hill again until he ascends it in a resurrected body. This will be our Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, his last walk up this hill. Going up to Jerusalem, it says, heading to the cross, he took them aside because he wants to talk to them, and he says this, look, behold, I want you to think about this. You need to understand It's a present imperative. You need to be thinking about this. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests, unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify. And they understood what that meant. And the third day he shall rise again. You know, it's interesting. Jesus never talks about his death without talking about his resurrection. He never talks about being crucified without being raised. And I think as Christians, you go through the book of Acts, every time the gospel is preached, it comes to the resurrection. It's never just that he was crucified. Every presentation of the gospel takes you to the cross and then to the empty tomb. And I think it should be that way when we share, you know, we share with our loved ones and our friends. And particularly in this day, we have a hope because the tomb is empty. We're, you know, it's not like we're the happy martyrs club. That's not what this is all about. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. There's resurrection. We have hope beyond this present world. And, and he's t- talking to the disciples. Now look, how many times had he gone up this hill in his life? You know, uh, we know when he was... When he was four years old, or no, he's 12 years old, his parents lose him, right? And they have to come back to Jerusalem, and they find him with the chief priests and the scribes talking. And, and you know, his mom says, this is embarrassing when you're the Messiah and your mom gets involved, you know. You know, didn't you know that my, your father and I were looking for you? And he, and he looks at them and said, you know, I understand. Didn't you know that I had, be, I had to be about my father's business? So at 12, he knew this walk would take place up this hill. Isn't it interesting? You get up to the top of the Mount of Olives, and when you come over, Jerusalem's laying there before you, and between you and Jerusalem is the Kidron Valley. Kidron means black. 
And the valley was black because of the blood of hundreds of thousands of lambs sacrificed every year that would wash down through the drainage system. They have to keep the temple courts clean or they would get maggots and flies and it was all washed. But there was so much blood it would turn that valley black. And how many times had Christ crossed that and looked at that blackness and understood it was all looking to the day he would come and fulfill it. So he takes the guys aside now, and he starts to talk to them. He says, think about this. Behold, we're going to go up there. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests, the scribes. They're going to condemn me to death, and then they're going to deliver me to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, to crucify, and the third day I'm going to rise again. So you and I know, as we read this, that he's no victim. This is not a victim. He's going, you know... Paul the, the tells us in the book of Acts that it was by the predetermined counsel and the foreknowledge of God that he gave his life. There's a plan here that, again, so he's no, since he's 12, he had to be about his father's business. The, he's not a victim. He's deliberately going to take our place in death so we can take his place in life. The disciples at this point in time are still not getting it. Uh, we know when Luke gives us the picture. It says, He took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, spit on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Luke then says, And they understood none of these things. (laughs) They understood none of these things, and this saying was hidden from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. So it's telling us here in our, our picture in Matthew that he tells them this, and they're all standing around like this. Look at what he's talking about. This is the third time he tries to communicate this. John's honest enough to say several times, and we didn't understand that till after the resurrection. You know, that's when the light come on. You know, it, it, Luke tells us they listened to him; they didn't understand what he was saying, and we know that because right after this, James and John, their mom's going to come and say, "Hey, let's go back to the twelve tribes. Can uh, one of my sons sit on your right hand, sit on your left hand?" You know, they aren't getting what he's saying. Interesting. First Peter, you know, Peter will write about it, of course. We, we've not been, you know, bought through gold or silver, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, those things all become so clear to them. They're going up to Jerusalem. Then, it's in verse 20, says then. It sets the timing for us. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, who are James and John, with her sons, look, worshiping him. I think she's working him here is what I think she's doing. But she's worshiping. She falls down. And desiring a certain thing of him. And he says to her, what do you want? Now, he knows. He's God. Okay? This is a loaded question. This is the mother of Zebedee's children. Um. If you read these verses, I'll just give them to you. Matthew 22, 56, 
Mark 15, verse 40, and John 19, verse 25, you put them together, you learn that this is Salome, and she is the sister of Mary, the Lord's mother. So this is Aunt Salome coming now. James and John are his cousins. Mary's other cousin was Elizabeth, so... Her cousin's son is John the Baptist, the forerunner. Uh, James ends up to be the head of the church in Jerusalem. Jude ends up writing the epistle of Jude. You know, there's a lot of nepotism going on here. You know, it's a whole family project. Everybody's involved. The Bible never worried about that. If you were a priest, the only reason you were a priest, because your father was a priest. If you're going to be a king, your dad had to be a king. You want to be a Levite, your dad had to be a Levite. You're going to be a singer in the temple, your dad had to be a singer in the temple. You know, these things were passed on, they were understood. This is such an interesting picture. James and John are his cousins. Salome that comes to talk to him is his aunt. John the Baptist was his mom's cousin's son. You got it all? His brothers James and, and Jude end up, you know, in, in late major roles in the in the New Testament. And one of the church fathers even says Simon, one of the other brothers, he ends up to be the head of the church at one point in time. So here's the family, and she's thinking. I know what she's thinking. This is the this is it. This is this is my nephew Jesus. He's going to set up a kingdom, and in the kingdom he's going to have twelve thrones. It only makes sense for his cousins to be the ones closest to him. Right? Yeshua, you know them. They're good boys. They work hard. They'll be good. They'll watch out. You put one in your right hand, one of these other guys are Meshuganas. You know, this is you take these two. It's really Jewish. You can see it. She comes with her two sons worshiping, and she said, now I want something. He said, what is that? He knows. This is like a kid. I'm going to ask you a question to say yes before I tell you what it is. You know, kids will do that. And she said, well, I want you to grant that these, my two sons, may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your kingdom. Now, the funny thing is, the other gospels describe it said James and John came Mark Matthew's the one, and he remembers, well, their mom came. And I wonder if they were saying, Mom, don't. Mom, ah, don't you do, you know, you're going to cause them to, what do you mean he's your cousin? I'm going to go ask him. He's my nephew. No, don't do that. You know, they're thinking we're apostles and our mom's involved in this, you know. That's embarrassing when you're an apostle and your mom is trying to run things. Don't feel bad, whatever circumstance you're in. It's mom's job. That's the way they are. There's something fallen in that, but there's something divine in that as well. These are my two boys. Let one sit on your right hand, the other sit on on your left hand. When you come into your kingdom, they're going to follow you in this regeneration you were talking about, where the 12 thrones are going to be. And Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you're asking for. He said, now, evidently, he turns to the boys. They're in cahoots with their mom. And he says, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism 
I am baptized with. And James and John said, yep. <laughs> you know, Luke tells us they had no idea what he was talking about. He was talking about going up to Jerusalem. They just go, yep, yep, yep. And he said unto them, you shall drink indeed of my cup. You didn't say you're going to drink my cup. You're going to drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them of whom it is prepared of my father. What an interesting picture. You know, James, by the way, one of his cousins here, was the first to drink of the cup. Not the cup, because their deaths were not propitiatory. They didn't pay for any sins. James was the first martyr in Jerusalem out of the twelve. He was the first. And John, his brother, suffers the martyrdom of a long life. He's the last one to live after all the rest of them are gone, all those years, you know. He had seen Peter... You know, James, John, Paul, he had watched all of them go into martyrdom. He was the last eyewitness left. So, you know, are you able to drink of the cup I'm going to drink of and be baptized with the baptism? They just say, yeah. And he said, well, it's going to happen. You're going to drink of my cup, not my cup, but of it. We fill up the sufferings of Christ, Paul said. And you're going to be baptized with the physical death the way I'm going to be baptized. You're going to be baptized in it. He said, but to sit on my right hand and left hand, that is given to whom the Father has prepared it for. Now, who is that? That's only two people. Who's it going to be? Are you going to pick two of the twelve? We should do that because he said there are going to be 12 thrones and you're going to sit on them. Which of the two is it going to be? Won't be Judas, we know that. There's going to be a replacement on that throne. But who, who are the guys that are going to sit the closest? Who's, who has the Father prepared that for? I mean, it's going to be good with me, however it works out. I'm, you know, I'm just be glad to be in, you know. But I, I look at it and I think, who are you? Got these twelve. Who who are the two that are going to sit the closest? What an interesting picture. Now look at verse twenty-four. And when the ter- when the ten heard it, it's no longer the twelve. It's been the twelve all along. Now it's the ten. You know. Because they're mad at the two. So there's already division in the church and nothing's even happened yet. And these are the A apostles, not the B apostles. You know, these are the guys supposed to have it together. And now all of a sudden it's the, tw- it's the ten and the two. It's no longer the twelve. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation. Even if there was just ten, there would still have to be two closer than the other ones. But they're moved with indignation against the two. But Jesus called them unto him, and he said, look, he must be thinking, oy vey, you know, these guys are not getting it. Jesus calls him and says, look, you know that the princes of the Gentiles, the Romans, the unsaved world, they exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Listen. Uh, This is important. 
because we grew up in that system. We grew up in a dog-eat-dog world. We grew up where, you know, you're you're a little kid, and uh, you're they, they you're great. You, you know, you're a little kid. You start to grow up, and somebody says, "Oh, you got so big, I wouldn't even recognize you." And you think I've been trying all this time. Now I come there and don't recognize me anymore. And all you want to do when you're a kid is get moved from the kid table to the big table, where all the real relatives sit. You know. And and then they finally let you sit there. Then you got to get your grades in school. Then you got to get to college. Everything you do, you got to earn. Then you got to get two hundred thousand dollars in debt and buy your first apartment or you know your first car. Just everything you do. And he says it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. It's different than that. You know how the world operates, and everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be on top of the pile. But it, it shouldn't be that way among you. Now, look, that's really important to translate it into the church. And Kathy and I, for a number of years, were in a ministry, and it was a shepherding ministry. And it was authority and submission. And we had to submit to the elders. They told you when you could buy a washing machine, when you could rent an apartment, if you can do this, if you can do that. Which, which are, those are veil menders. They're coming between us and Jesus. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, and it's the only thing he says in the Bible where he tells us something he hates. He said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The KO, we got Nike sneakers, the KO to conquer. Laetan, the lady, I hate anybody who comes between me and my children, me and my bride. Okay? Now look, in the ministry we were in, the head honcho said he was an apostle. So then you're thinking, well, I guess he knows what he's talking about, you know. Because you're new Christians, you're coming into this. Mark chapter 10 says the same thing. This is the way the Gentiles operate it shouldn't be the, among you the, the, who's going to be the greatest should be the servant of all. Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, look, we don't have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy. We do not have dominion over your faith. We are helpers of your joy. In Philemon is writing there to Philemon because he wants him to receive Anisiphorus back. He said, look, uh, such an aged one as me, Paul, I could adjure you to do this. I could, I could command you, but for love's sake, I beg you, I adjure you. He doesn't take authority in that situation. This is one of those places where Peter is listening, and he will write this to the church. No doubt remembering what the Lord had said. Likewise, um, I'm sorry. He says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. He doesn't put himself above them. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not for money, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Peter, Peter, the 
not the first pope, but Peter says this is the way it is. We're not to be lording it over God's heritage, the bride of Christ. You know, it says in the end of Hebrews, interesting, and and because we came out of the, that ministry, we know all the ammo they try to use against us. There in the end of Hebrews, it says this. It says, remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their lifestyle. So he's saying, consider those who set the standard. He says, and remember, you know, that they've died, they've passed on. So it's not saying you need to submit to them, because he's saying, remember the end. And again, the Lord hates anybody. So he's saying to the disciples here, look, this is not, this, you're, you're, you're lowering the kingdom. You're, you're poisoning it. You're, you're you know, you're, you're making it less than it is, because... Worldly people operate that way. Worldly people want to be in charge. Their ego gets stroked, stroked when they're in charge of everything. But in the kingdom, it's not that way. He said in the kingdom, what he wants them to do is to be serving, but it shall not be so among you. He says, don't degrade this because you know he says the son of man came not to be served but to serve and lay down his life a ransom for many he says it shall not be so among you but whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister your diakonos your servant okay so anybody who wants to be great let him be a servant we have, you know, on Sunday, servant sign up. The line's not long. Anybody want to sign up to be a servant? You know, he says, if you want to be great, be a servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, the most recognition, let him be a different word, not diakonos. Now it's doulos. Let him be slave. This Sunday, we're going to have slave sign up. We're not going to get much response. You know, he just says the, the, the Gentiles operate. The world operates. The head honcho. He's a, he says in the kingdom, look, you know, it says he became poor that you and I might become rich. Think of what he did. You know, I, I heard Chuck Smith used to say, you know, you know, the gospel. He said, think of on your street down by the curb, there's an anthill. And all the ants are running around, and you know that they're going to open the fire hydrant, and when they do, all those ants are going to drown. He said, now, if you just stand over and go, yo, you stupid ants, get out of here. He said, they'll all drop dead of a heart attack. He said, the way you can get to them is you become an ant. And then you can warn them. He said, but Christ becoming human is way more demeaning than you becoming an ant. You're a creature becoming a creature. He's a divine being that put on human skin, and he stooped down way further than you would have to stoop down to be an ant. And he took it on, and he's still wearing it. He humbled himself, became a servant. 
unto death, not serving unto notoriety, not to dying in a hospital on hospice, but even the death of the cross, spit upon, beaten, Jesus. That's what he says in verse 28. Look, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. A ransom, that word ransom there means to specifically to be redeeming a slave. Give his life a ransom. For is a word that specifically means instead of. So he gave his life instead of your life being taken that he might redeem us from our slavery. And as they departed from there, they went to Jericho, great multitudes followed them. So he says, you know, you think it's something you have to stoop down. You're worried about rewards. You wonder who's going to get this. Who can look at the first might be last. Last might be first. This is the way that it goes. And he says, God is gracious. You know, you're you're worried about the, the, the payment of the labor. On the other end of this, there's a, a householder who's good and gracious and gener- generous, and he's worried about the labor. He's not worried about the, the harvest. He's worried about the humans. And he knows that some of them don't have a means to care for their family, to care for their own lives. So he calls them even at the 11th hour. That's how we got here. That's why we're here. This is the end of the day. It's the end of the harvest. And he's called us. He's allowed us to put our hands on the kingdom. I can hardly believe I'm saved most days. Let alone that he lets us us actually touch the kingdom and he lets us serve. But he says, but the way you do that, you know, Aunt Salome... It's not by wanting the best seats in the house. That's the way the Gentiles operate. The way this has to be is if you want to be great in the kingdom, you become a servant. People recognize. They recognize it. If you want to be chief, then you become a slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to lay down his life, to buy out of the slave market those that were slaves in sin. What were we slaves to? And he came and he bought us. He's on his way up to Jerusalem to fulfill that, and it says they don't even know what he's talking about. What a crew. We could have fit right in there, couldn't we? I could have been an apostle. I still hardly know what he's talking about sometimes. You know, just imagine that. We could we could have all fit in. But he picks such as us. Here we are tonight. Here we are tonight. You know, I I sometimes think about my graduating class from high school. And over the years I've learned there's two or three others out of my graduating class that are believers. High school. That's amazing that I can remember that back that far. To tell you, I don't remember what school I graduated from, but I remember. No, uh, you know. And there's there's two or three others that are believers, and you think, well, it's not fate. It's not like I was walking down the street and the Lord dropped salvation down, and the guy in front of me was walking too fast and it hit me on the head and I got saved. It's not fate. It's his election. It's his choice. In my father's house, there's a place for me. 
I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. He's chosen us. He's chosen us like he chose those 12. He's chosen us. What a privilege to come and sit here and look at your faces all the time. I think we're so close to this corruption putting on incorruption, this mortal putting on immortality. I can't wait to see what it's going to be like for us all to look at each other on the other side. We'll all be 30. <laughs> Our bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body, 33. We're all going to, it's all going to be a wonderful thing. We're going to know fully even as we've been fully known. Sometimes you look at the church and you think, well, I wonder what that guy's story is. I wonder what that guy's story is. You know, we're going to know all of each other's stories. And we're going to know how every single one in this room came to praise him and love him. We say, come on, let's go together. Let's go. Let's go on down there. Let's, you know, let's go look at the king. Let's see the lamb with the marks of slaughter. Let's fall down and throw our crowns again. I know we've been here for a trillion years, but it just seems like we're getting started to me. Right? What a privilege. Amen? Don't get caught up on the horizontal. Get caught up on the vertical. Get caught up on the vertical. That's how we have to live now because that makes us richer for the empty and lost world that's around us. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Read ahead. Blind Bartimaeus next week. One of my favorite records in the in the gospel. Remarkable. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have to gather, Lord. And thank you for these things. We look at them. They're not all easy, Lord. You just we're, we're not inclined in our human nature to be servants or to be slaves. We're not inclined to be happy when somebody gets the same pay that we get when we've been working way longer and way harder. Lord, we're not inclined the way you are to care for equally those who serve you. That it's only your blood that puts us all on level ground. And that there's good works foreordained that we should walk in them. That you are going to reward us for the things that you foreordained that we should be involved in, Lord. Just We can hardly comprehend your grace and your plan. Lord, teach us to serve one another as we serve you, Lord. We know that's essential to serving you. Teach us to be slaves for you, Lord, as Paul often said, to relinquish our rights. And remember, you bought us out of the slave market where we slave for so many other things. And Lord, we need you to do that or we just forget so easily. Lord, we love to sing. We love to worship you. We love to remember what you've done for us, Lord. We love to praise your name. We love to look in your word and see what you have to say to us. Lord, We can, if this is just a foretaste, we can hardly imagine, Lord, what it will be like to step through the veil. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. If you want to bring a revival for out here, then just get it started tonight, Lord. We don't want to just feel like we want to see it happen so we can hear the trumpet, Lord. We're just selfish on every front, Lord. Divinely selfish. 
We want to see you, Lord. We'd love to see a great in-gathering. But we want to step out of the darkness into the light. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we pray in your name and for your glory. And we ask that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord. As individuals, it would just blow our individual minds, Lord, what you will do in our lives tonight and this week, Lord. There would be a fresh fire, Lord, that would burn in all of our hearts. Lord, grant that, Lord. Grant that, Lord. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.